When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello, welcome to this Cricket Badger India vs England daily podcast by the fans for the fans. Virat Kohli's India, with Rohit Sharma, Jaspreet Bumrah and Ravi Ashwan, and young starlets like Rishabh Pant and Shubman Gill. They play host to Joe Root's England, with Jimmy Anderson, Ben Stokes, Stuart Broad and young talents like Ollie Pope and Zach Crawley. It's always England's toughest tour, good luck to both sides, may the best team win. Hello everybody, welcome along. It's another edition of the Test Match Daily. I'm James Butler, the Cricket Badger, and this test is going India's way, it seems. 329 they made all out this morning. Four wickets falling for 29 runs, but then England's 134 all out, spun out by Ashwin and Co. And at the close, India 54 for one. India lead by 249 runs going into day three. Day three, we've only had two days of this test match. So India very much in control of proceedings. England have a mountain to climb. It's Everest and probably more if England are going to come out of this test match with any kind of result to take into test match number three. Looking very likely the series will be one apiece when we reach Ahmedabad for the third test match. which is a day-night test match. Joining me to talk about the events today, I have got three of my fan badgers. There's Ash Turner, who is siding with England. Rito Maitra, who is India, but siding with England. And Neil Varani, who is our Indian fan on the podcast today. Neil, we'll start with you because India are on top of this game. That day from uh, Virat Kohli's perspective, it couldn't really have gone a lot better, could it? Obviously, you'd have probably liked a few more runs at the start of it. To bowl England, though, out for 134, he'll be happy with that. He will be very, very happy with that. I think pretty much everything went according to plan, apart from maybe not putting on another 20 or 30 runs, someone actually sticking around with Pant first thing. But 329 is a very competitive score on uh, on a tough pitch. And then the bowling was absolutely superb. And I thought what was most impressive was that there weren't the loose balls that we saw sometimes from some of the England bowlers. I thought Aksha was very, very tight, bowling very much in a way that we would expect Jadeja to do. So 
he's fulfilled his brief completely there. Ashwin, we know on a turning pitch, is absolute gold dust. And even the Seamers uh, did well and chipped in, aided by some great catching from Richard Pant. We, we could talk about Ashwin all day. We won't do because we just know what he can do. He's edging towards 400 test wickets. He's the quality um, spinner that uh, India have at their disposal and he's causing Indian, England all sorts of trouble out there. Just going back to the, the, the kind of the end of the Indian innings though, Neil, from an England perspective, very fearful of what Rishabh Pant might be able to do because, you know, an hour, an hour or an hour and a half of Rishabh Pant and that lead gets, or that total gets massive, doesn't it? Because he can cause mayhem. He, as you say, just run out of partners there he'll be frustrated I think from his perspective that nobody could stay with him and, and help him um, get that score maybe somewhere up towards 400 Yeah I've got no blame with Asher I thought it was an exceptional stumping from Ben Folks. Um Ishan clearly premeditated the sweep and just got it completely wrong Kuldeep got roughed up by Ollie Stone and Siraj appears to be uh, fulfilling the chamois brief in every single way, <laughs> as well as bowling uh, really well, just complete lunacy with the bat. I was very disappointed with his wicket because he'd already played one flashy shot and then went for another and pants at the other end, just saying, just you know, stay in, turn it over to me and I'll get you another 30, 40 runs. The tail really does begin at nine and uh, the quality of batting drops off very quickly. So a little bit frustrating, but we've already got ourselves in a very good position. So I'm not going to complain too much. We're going to come on to the umpiring in the pitch later on in the podcast. Um, so stay tuned for that. But finally, for now, Neil, on the Indian perspective, that lead, as I say, 249 runs going into day three. We seem to have had an awful lot of cricket in the first two days of this test match. There's no way India can't win this test, is there? I don't know. Can uh, anyone play a, a Lakshman or a Stokes or a Kushal Pereira or Kyle Mayers? Uh, style innings in the fourth and fifth day on that there surface. Is that. On that surface, I don't think so. Um, well, I'd say that until a debutant put on two hundred on uh, the last day in Bangladesh, which tends to be <laughs> even worse. Um, so I've got to the stage of saying never say never. After the last few months, I think it'll be extremely tough if England can roll through India tomorrow. Then it'll still be extremely tough but maybe they give themselves a chance um i thought the way they went about the batting today aside from ben folks and ollie pope was completely wrong um so if they adjust that going forward then that may be a way forward but i think the score already is probably too big for anything apart from an india win ash um from an england perspective it's it's going to be a tough final three days, probably not even three days, as they go through the rest of this test in Chennai. I, I felt with England, they got caught between two stalls in the batting. Uh, again, we'll talk about the pitch later because it's a tough pitch to bat on. They kind of let the Indian bowlers bowl at them and it was scoreboard pressure rather than going out and trying to impose themselves on the Indian bowlers. I mean, I'm not expecting somebody to go out there and hit 160 balls, but you can rotate the strike and be a little bit, bit more proactive. A few of the wickets at the top end were kind of given to the Indians rather than really taken by the Indians. Yeah, I think England's whole mantra now and set up for batting is to play attritional and for basically the match will go five days but we'll have put a big big score on by being patient and taking our time and I think in reality that just was never going to be the way to go on the pitch and so I think they almost got caught as you say caught between two minds they wanted to play the way that they've been practicing and playing for the last year being that attritional style taking taking the time but I think they also re recognise that 
the pitch, as we've said, it wasn't great. It's playing like a day three or four pitch already, maybe even a day five pitch, and they couldn't do that. And I think where Sharma and Pant and the Harney got it right is that they were proactive. They went after it. They were aggressive. They almost took the pitch out of the equation at times. And England just didn't really do that. They just got themselves stuck in a hole. I know how to get out of it. In a way, Ash, this is the kind of cricket I was expecting on this series. You know, the first test match, England needed everything to go right for them. And it did really, didn't it? They got the better of the wicket. They bowled well. They took all of their chances. If England are going to compete in this series, they need to have pretty much all the cards dealt in their favour. And India had the better of the surface. And England's mindset, I think, was was wrong in that that uh, that first dig. They shouldn't have baggage because not many of these guys have uh, have been to India before. There's quite a lot in that team that have never played in India before, but they seem to have that. In the same way, the fans, England fans, watching this team are thinking, "Oh, blimey, it's spinning! England are going to struggle." It almost seems to be in the players as well. Yeah, I, I think as you say, it was almost as if they came out with a mindset that they were almost going to have to try and save save the Test match when. I know, obviously, India probably got maybe 50 to 100 more than we should have, we should have let them, but there was no reason to come out, I guess, at that point and, and not go on the offensive, not back themselves to be good enough to go out it. And when it was almost like they were resigned to the fact that India have got good spinners, the, the pitch is turning, and they just didn't seem to know what to do with it. And I think it was it was disappointing. I can't I can't really bring myself to slate them because I think a lot of stuff has gone against them in this in this match, whereas everything went their way in the last one. And it, it was always going to be really, really difficult. So it's hard to have a go at them as such. But we were sloppy with the ball. We gave away too many runs particularly Moeen if we're being honest and batting wise we just didn't we just didn't look like we'd applied ourselves it didn't look like we'd come out with a plan of what we were going to do which is is disappointing Ruto if we look at this test match and compare it to the last test match everything seemed to kind of fall for England in the first test match they made the most of it but they, they did get the rub of the green a little bit second time around as Ash says the kind of the roles have reversed a little bit India are getting the, the winning the toss and, and getting the best part of the pitch and umpire decisions we'll talk about that later but it's always going to be tough for England in India but when things don't fall in your favour it's even harder isn't it well absolutely James from the very beginning Joe Root made a very big mistake by not calling heads if he had called heads then you don't won the toss you never if, if you, if you could only home. practice that Rito if you could only practice that and get that right kick captains would be a lot better wouldn't they yeah maybe they they would have been in the box seat by the end of the day today but still for India to bounce back after such a heavy defeat is really outstanding from them the way Rohit Sharma played and Rahani in the partnership India were in a bit of trouble uh, before lunch at 86 for three with Rahane out of form. But Rahane and Rohit Sharma, they stabilized the team. And then Rishabh Pant at the end there just got away. And again, today I thought England's approach with the bat was wrong, absolutely. They played almost 60 overs and their run rate was 2.24 on that pitch when the bats, where the batsman knows there's probably going to be a ball with his name on it. You have to just take your chances and score at least three runs and over. And that that's where England got it run. One player that I think is coming out of this test match with his uh, credentials enhanced is Ben Folkes, who uh, scored 42 not out from 107 balls today. His average now in test cricket has risen above 46, started at 41.5, uh, top scored by some margin. He just um, seemed to go about it very, he was a bit cautious, but he had to be because everybody was falling around him. But he took his scoring opportunities and I thought batted really nicely. Yeah, Ben Folkes, he has impressed once again with his wicket keeping. England didn't consider single uh, extra, yes 
yesterday with the ball in the first league actually. And with the bat, he was the highest run scorer for England, took toll of the loose deliveries and probably late in the day he missed a stumping, which he should have taken, but still uh, very impressive from him. BlackRatCricket.com Handmade English Willow Bats They do have a cashmere range for bats 0-4 Starter kit all the way to pro level kit They're based in Yorkshire There is teamwear available And there is a new signature range coming soon in February Bats made by cricketers for cricketers Make 2021 count with Black Rat Cricket Ash and um, Ben folks there's you know we've, we've had discussions about this for the last three years really and it goes back to do you pick your best keeper or do you pick your best all-round package or indeed is Ben folks the best all-round package because his first class average and his test average are actually stronger than Joss Butler's Joss Butler's made a better fist of test cricket over the last 12 months or so but is there scope to maybe include both in the same side and let folks who I think is the better gloveman I think I, you know anybody that argues that against me I think he's going to get short shrift play folks at seven play Butler at six where actually in test cricket averages more it's a, I find it a real difficult one. I think if you're going off the all-round package, I'd probably still pick Butler. If I'm if I'm being honest, I, I know that folks has got a got a better average at the moment, and you can't criticise him for the small sample size that we're using. You look at first-class cricket as well, Ash, and you bring that into it. I know he that still averages a lot. Mm, more. He does, but again, did, people will then. I could easily turn around and say, well, Butler hasn't played that much first-class cricket, so is that why? And Folks deserves the chance and he's got the chance now to to go out and prove that he, he is a good enough and that he can do it. And I'm I'm sure he can. I personally would like to see Butler in number six because for me, that's where he's suited. That's where he fits. The issue then is, is what do you do with Ollie Poe? And I think that that's maybe England's problem at the moment that we have a lot of people, that a lot of players for certain positions and then we go to other positions like openers and second spinners where we're maybe struggling a lot more. Um, so we've got lots of talent in certain areas and I think wicket keepers and middle order batsmen, we've got we've got lots of talent on offer and it's difficult to fit them all in. Um, but our problems really are, out, are elsewhere that, that we need to sort out. But if you, I mean, if you get a player in England team to its strengths Joss Butler averages at number 5 in the order 28 at number 7 in the order he averages 30 at number 8 in the order he averages 28 none of those are acceptable really in terms of a batsman in test cricket whether he's a wicketkeeper or not at number 6 though 21 innings he averages 51.53 you know it just seems the right fit if you're going to maximise the potential there play Joss Butler as a batsman at 6 Ben Folks as your best keeper and also a decent batsman at number 7 yeah that is I, I think that is the way probably to go To be, I, I just can't see them dropping Ollie Pope out to the side I think is it not time to say to Ollie Pope you've seen enough of test cricket now we believe in you you can go up to at least number 5 in the order Possibly. Again, I think a lot of... I, I hate to say it because he's doing so well, but I think half... Well, they're both doing so well, but I think half of England's issue is, is that we have players that we want to put in at probably number five and don't want to push for up to number three. And really, you want probably Root to be, to be that man at number three, but we know he likes number four, he bats better at number four. So again, it, it's... I find England's batting lineup a very difficult jigsaw to put together, and it's almost we have the pieces, but they just do not—they don't seem to fit. You've got a minute in the crystal maze to put these batsmen in a certain order and see how you get on, and it's not an easy jigsaw puzzle to fit in. I mean, looking at um, Joe Root, you can see why he prefers number four. He averages fifty-four at number four, and number five he averages sixty-nine. 
And at number three, he averages 38. He's opened as well and averages over 40 in that position. But certainly his best stat is at number four. So you can see why that is the case. But Rito, in, in terms of England and, and the future, do we put Ben Stokes to number three? Do we put Joe Root to number three and say, come on, captain, stand up and, and, and take that role? Or do we just basically put Ben Folks back out to pasture again? Well, I think Joe Root has made it very clear that he wants to bat at number four. He tried to bat at number three in that Ashes series in 2019, but if he's not batting at number three in the subcontinent, then probably he won't bat at number three in the UK as well, where the ball does a lot more in those first couple of sessions. So probably that's, again, a sort of issue. Now, Rory Burns is also struggling as an opener. He has backed two couple of uh, ducks over here in consecutive innings. So again, England, they're in a tough position with that batting in our lineup. All of a sudden, it seems there are questions to be answered. But Ben Fox, you have to sort of, in these conditions, make the most of him. Probably in England, they are decided with Butler will be their number one keeper. But in the subcontinent where he's so tidy against spin, you have to just find out a way about this rotation policy. Neil, talking about the spin attack, I mean, we, we don't need to go through India's spin attack because they are obviously um, a serious quality. But when you compare the Indian spinners with the England spinners, what's the fact that India managed to get 300 plus on that surface because they batted really well? Or is it because England allowed them to score those runs? Um, because when we saw... England bat, it didn't look that much of a different pitch. It was still breaking through the surface. It was still turning, but England obviously didn't bat very well, but the Indian bowlers didn't allow them to bat very well. So the spinners play a massive part on that surface. I think personally that the Indian spinners have showed the England spinners how to bowl. I don't think the pitch has changed that much from day one to to day two. Um, Certainly not as much as it changed in the first test. It started off ragging. We saw Virat get out in the first session to one that turned an absolute mile and it's continued to do that all the way through. The difference has been the economy of the Indian spinners. Now, I mean, we'll put Ashwin to one side because he's a genius between him and Lyon over who's been the best spinner over the last decade. Akshar Patel on debut did not really give anything away while still providing that control, which Jack Leach was a little bit looser, but not a huge amount. But Mo was giving away a lot of runs, despite the fact that he was still um, getting the odd one to turn an absolute mile and look very dangerous. We do um, much different to what Don Bess was doing in, in the first test, the occasional Jaffa along with a lot of loose stuff. Isn't that the point, Ash, in terms of why Moen wasn't necessarily the right fit for this team? Obviously, he's going to be a bit rusty. We've got to give him a bit of time to see how he does, but he won't be boosted by his performance with the bat either. And did we actually gain anything from Moen Ali above Don Best? Joe wanted more control. If anything, Moen Ali gave him less control. Still picked up wickets with loose balls, which was the criticism against Don Best. Surely, from an England perspective, rather than go with somebody that's 30-plus who possibly could be better to suited to just concentrating on white ball cricket, invest in Don Bess, which you've already done, invest in Don Bess and keep that investment up and get him to grow as a player. This was my main criticism and of England, if I'm honest, for this test. I don't don't get me wrong, Moeen seems an absolutely lovely bloke and a few years ago was a brilliant red ball player, but the bloke hasn't played red ball cricket for something like 16, 17 months. He's had COVID and he, and he gets thrown in into a game like this. I, I wouldn't have personally been selecting him for the squad anyway, but to, to throw him in for this test seems strange. I also felt a bit harsh on Best because 
Yes, he bowled loose and, and the second innings was was poor, if we're honest, but he battled hard. He'd, he'd done a reasonable job with the bat as well. We'd won. He took four wickets in that first innings. And as you say, he's a young lad who's clearly got offers a bit of everything in terms of fielding and batting as well. So I could understand what they were saying. They wanted more control, but going to Moeen, who historically hasn't offered lots of control anyway, and clearly not going to be in the peak form of his life, having not played for 16 months, just seemed a bit bizarre and I think people would be fair to say that yes he may have took four wickets but there was a couple of them came from some rank full tosses that if Don Best had bowled him he'd have been highly criticised for and she say he went for I think it was 128 to the 359 runs I mean Jack Leach went for I think 50 odd less he just, he just wasn't quite good enough and I think the best thing that could happen for Moe and Ali for both him and for England now is to, to accept that the experiment doesn't work. We need to either help Don Bess and back him or look towards Parkinson or Crane or Verdi or whoever else we think has got, got it enough about them and let Moeen focus on T20 cricket because he, he could be key to winning that World Cup in a few months' time. I, t- I totally agree and that's the point Rito isn't it that England have got these priorities on the horizon and Moeen is an integral part of the white ball side rather than take him away on a tour of the subcontinent I mean we don't know what would have happened if he'd played in Sri Lanka he obviously didn't do but it seems that they've kind of kept him in a hotel room for a few weeks on end wouldn't they have been better to just give him a bit of time away from the game and you know concentrate on white ball help us win that World T20 well yes absolutely James this is where we can criticise England for being over conservative or about their rotation policies. Again, with uh, dropping Anderson for this test match when he was in supreme control of his trade and dropping best when he was not dissimilar uh, to Moin. Moin considered 128 runs on that raging turner. That's like a cardinal sin. You can't do that. If you're letting down your captain as a spinner on this pitch, then what are the seamers going to do? And that, that's the point as well, isn't it, Rita? The the, the first test track, which um, Don Best took four wickets on and bowled quite tightly, I thought, in the first innings, didn't offer anywhere near the help that Moen got from that surface then in the second test. Well, yes. And again, about the point Moen Moen Ali playing that T20 World Cup, we all know Moen Ali is a confidence player, probably playing him in this test match and deceiving his confidence. He can use it in the white ball again for Moen Morgan. Cricket's a game played with balls. You've got to look after them in the field. Badges are furry creatures. My friends at manscaped.com help you make sure it's neat and tidy down there. Oh, get rid of all that excess fur. Make sure that you're neat and tidy. Make sure everything's in the right order. Oh, feeling all good now down in this set. Oh, manscaped.com. Maximum skin-safe performance, compact design, advanced engineering, ceramic blade, waterproof. And it doesn't end there. Show you care by caring for your pair. Cleansers, revivers, preservers. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com. Get on there now. Let's get on to the uh, couple of more controversial parts of this podcast today then. The pitch. That pitch was basically the ball was hitting the surface and it was exploding off the surface from the morning of day one. There was, there's been significant turn since, since the morning of day one. Now, I tweeted about this over the last couple of days, and I've got quite a lot of Indian followers as well as English followers, and they're kind of, it, they almost kind of say, see it as an insult on India. 
Well, I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's a partisan thing. I'm not suggesting India are cheating or doing anything skullduggerous. You've got to play to your advantages. And if it's the subcontinent, I don't think India, England would expect anything less in terms of going there and facing challenges against spin. But if it's turning on day one and exploding on day one, then is that a good test match wicket? India are ahead in this game and India would probably be ahead in this game on whatever surface because I think India are a fantastic side and I love watching them. So it's nothing against India at all when I'm criticising the pitch. But Neil, surely we want to be preparing test match wickets which give a bit to batsmen and to bowlers and that would potentially last into the fifth day with both sides getting a fair crack of the whip. That pitch in Chennai, they've obviously put some black clay on top of the red clay that we saw in the first test match. That's designed to break up from the start, isn't it? That doesn't seem to be a very good test match wicket to me. I can't speak to... um the various qualities of the different types of clay. Um, But I will say that I think this test match um, has put less importance on the toss because there's been gradual deterioration from a low bar to begin with, whereas the first test, it was an absolute road for the first day and a half, two days, and then deteriorated very, very quickly. Uh, I don't have too much of an issue with it spinning from the beginning. Um, we're in the subcontinent. It's going to be dry. You generally see either that it spins from the start or that it's a slab of the M25. I think sideways movement is is not an issue in the well, same the, way the, that the best the best batsman if the ball's turning the best batsman will tell you that a turning ball you can read it out the hand you can get used to the bowler and you can compensate you, you can get yourself ready for the turn it's if the ball explodes and it's if the ball starts popping up off a length or if it keeps low and it's day two today and we started to see that happen quite regularly today I felt and it was playing like a day four day five track on day two for me I think there was also um, a level of exaggeration of um, how uneven the bounce was in the way that a lot of the England players batted. Well, I'll take, you to, I'll, I'll take you to a ball then that was bowled by England against, I can't remember which of the Indian batsmen it was now, it might have been Rowett, where it absolutely leapt on him and it actually came over Ben Folkes' gloves and hit uh, Ben Stokes on his left shoulder. And that's day two. And that's Rohit Sharma, who is a very good player of spin. Yeah, that's true. You shouldn't be getting that level of uneven bounce. Um, and to be honest, I saw a few balls do that, but I didn't see um, that many. I mean, it's not the sort of pitches that I've seen India's last tour to South Africa where people were getting hit on the hands all the time. And it Absolutely. There are there are dodgy pitches everywhere. It's not just in India. But can you, can you oh, take no, my... Oh, no, I don't mean it in that way. Yeah. But can, I think can, you take my, down. can you take my point, though, that it's not... This isn't against India. This is... I'm just... I'm looking at this from a cricket perspective. I want to see healthy test matches that, you know, potentially last into day five. I can't see any way that this test match goes anywhere near day five. Again, I think part of it is down to how um, how England batted. I thought two players for England and three for India showed the correct method and actually didn't look in anywhere near the strife that the rest of the players, Rohit, Rahane and Pants for India. And you had Pope and Folks. Uh, Folks didn't get out. And uh, while he uh, had to work hard, he wasn't all over the shop. Pope, I thought, looked very good until he got uh, taken off a, a very good catch off a, a strangle. And Rohit and Rahane got themselves out and Pan got yeah. stranded. Yeah, they played positively but sensibly and didn't seem that worried about the pitch while still 
respecting it. I agree with you to some extent there, but if you take Rowitz 161 out of the equation, if he'd been out first ball, Rowitz was on a different plane to everybody else in this test match. Rowitz did a Joe Root, didn't he? And basically looked like he was batting against different bowlers on a different surface. If you take his 161 out of that Indian total, the well, you, you and the rest of the Indian fans would be mightily disappointed with the total that was on the board. 329 is largely down to Rohit Sharma, plus a few um, lesser performances from Rahani and Rishabh Pant. But without Rohit, India would have struggled on that surface too. No, absolutely. It was a, a very difficult surface. But I think we're, we're okay on the quality, although it's uh, at one end of the spectrum on how tough a surface could be. We've seen um, pitches behave like this, like I say, across the world. There was the same level of timidity in batting with England today, allied with very good bowling from India, as we saw in the Ashes test at yeah. um, at Trent Bridge. When I, do, I totally agree. I think I think England batted England batted like they feared the worst, rather than they expected the, yeah, that they were going to succeed. And it's not the right mindset to go into any innings with. We're going to have to move on to the uh, the the umpire. Uh, we talked about this yesterday because of the third umpire's reviews and the stumping which I guess, yeah, could have gone either way. But the fact they didn't scroll on to see the ball hit the glove on the on the second shout against um, uh, Ravi Ashwin, wasn't it, yesterday? We had another incident today where the bat hidden behind Rohit Sharma's front pad. There is no way in the world to me that he was playing a shot to that. He knew exactly what he was doing. He's not daft. He has got more of a technique than that. If he was playing a shot, you would be able to see the full face of the bat. We couldn't see any of the bat behind his leg. That was not a shot. But the umpires, in their wisdom, decided, yes, he is playing a shot. And obviously, because he was playing a shot, it hit him outside of the off stump and he was deemed not out LBW. That was not playing a shot. And by virtue of that, the subsequent replays that we saw on the TV screen sometime later showed the ball going into the middle stump. Ash, it's not cheating. It's just poor umpiring. There's so many people on Twitter telling me that this is cheating. This is just scandalous from India. It's, it's disgusting. They're shaping the threat of the game. They're denying third umpire shots from the from the host broadcaster and all the rest of it. That is a massive accusation. And it's not something that I've got I want to go anywhere near at all. I don't think the guys there that need to perform well in their umpiring roles to get future gigs and future employment and benefits from their hard work they've put in down the years would they do anything that's skullduggerous it's just poor umpiring isn't it that was a dodgy decision Ash wasn't it I think there's been lots and lots of incompetent competent umpiring in this test to, to say the least I, I, it's hard to say because I can't I, what, what's difficult and I can understand why people think there's maybe more to it than just being incompetent is the fact that you've got that technology and I think anyone who's listened to the Big Bash uh, podcast will know I'm a big backer of you don't blame the umpires uh, for decisions they make on the field it's it's difficult it's really hard thing to do they've got to look for so many things it's happening so quickly especially on a pitch like this as well I can imagine it's exceptionally hard to try and judge things, but technology is there to help the umpires. You know, we talk, as you said, we spoke about it a lot in the big bash. And in my view, the DRS system and the and the replays are there to help the umpires ultimately reach the right decision. But they're actually taking the technology at the moment and reaching the wrong decisions. It's utterly bewildering because I don't. It almost seems like they've been rushing the way through decisions, and I don't. I don't. That's the thing that's difficult to understand. I think not only have they got them wrong, they seem to have gone moved through the decision very, very quickly. I mean, the stumping yesterday, I, I, I'm still amazed at being, being given the fact that they couldn't communicate a, a very basic instruction for the court off the glove that was made really clear from the moment that Root reviewed it. Again, seemed 
utterly, utterly bizarre. The, the pictures were there because we saw the replays further on. So the, the, the footage was there. They just didn't choose to actually use it. And in that situation, I mean, Rita, I'll bring you in on this one. In that situation, the third umpire has got to show his authority, hasn't he? He's got to say to the TV guys, right, I don't care if we have to sit here half an hour for this. I want that footage and I want it as soon as you can get me it because this is an important decision. And to kind of cut off a review halfway through before you actually see the actual incident that the, that, that the England team are waiting to look at, that is wrong. And the, the, the Rohit Sharma thing, the laws are really clear. If you don't play a shot and you and the ball goes on to hit your stumps, you're out. And Rohit Sharma should have gone today. The umpiring in this game has been very ordinary, to say the least. And to talk about the third umpire, I've heard at numerous instances the director even suggesting to the third umpire that go to the watch this. There's something in this. There's some evidence. So there was no such communication from the director as well that there is a picture which is showing that the ball has hit his glove on the way up. And even today, the umpiring from Virendra Sharma, I have a bit of sympathy for him. It is his debut test match, but still it was very weak from him. With the LBW against Rory Burns, it's almost... Ishan Sharma was pleading with him in his third or fourth appeal, and then that's when Virendra Sharma gave it out, and it came out as umpire's call, just clipping the outside of the leg stump. And with the Rohit Sharma one, what on earth was he thinking? Probably Joe <laughs> wouldn't have reviewed if he, if he knew it was an, it wasn't a shot being played. But even the great Sunil Gavaskar on commentary disagreed with the umpire. And he doesn't often disagree with Indians. No, it's, it's crazy decisions for me. Neil, I mean, I, I've had to try and explain myself to Indian supporters on Twitter to say, this isn't against India. I'm not, I'm not, I want the, the right decisions for cricket here. I want to watch a cricket match. I, I don't mind if India win this series, as long as I see four good test matches where it's fair, played, and every, and the spirit between the two teams, I think, has been excellent so far. But this is kind of threatening to maybe sour that a little bit, isn't it? And for, how do you view it from an Indian perspective? I mean, I, I've been trying to tell people that if this was the other way around, and this was a review against, I don't know, an English batsman and, and he was deemed not out when he should have been out, I'd still say the same thing. I've got no issue with the Rory Burns decision. I thought he, he took his time, but it was still within a reasonable amount of time. And honestly, um, I live in England. I've seen Stuart Broad uh, appealing for a lot longer um, before uh, a wicket got given there. The Rohit Sharma one I thought was completely wrong. He was clearly not playing a shot. Bat was well behind the pad, so that seems strange. I think there's a clear drop-off. Nitin Menon has been absolutely superb. I think he's only 10 tests in, but he is a regular international test umpire. I think the other guys, um, Anil Chowdhury and Brenda Sharma, obviously on their way up. And a lot of stuff comes with experience, but the quality hasn't been that great. And the third umpiring has been bizarre at times, um, I think. Why would he cheat though, Neil? I mean, people that say it's cheating. Oh, no. Why would there, that, there'll what, be no what, cheating. What, what motivation is there for that third umpire to cheat? There isn't any. There'll be no cheating. And um, the risk reward is completely skewed. If you get found cheating, that's your career gone. And quite frankly, the fans in the subcontinent are so passionate that you're really going to struggle in the future. And also, Neil, if you if you found if you do cheat, you're shown on 24 different cameras around the ground that you've made a mistake, and that's not going to do your future career any any good at all. Even if you even if the cheating's not uncovered, you're making mistakes and being ridiculed in public. There's just no there's just no benefit. I can't see any benefit for doing it. There's no sense to it. I think it's um, a stick that people go to um, too early, where we can't accept that sometimes that people are human and make mistakes and sometimes 
the the quality of their decision making isn't good enough. One thing which I had heard suggested, which makes complete sense, is that especially in this time where due to COVID, you've only got local umpires. So you're going to have to take from a pool where maybe the quality isn't as great as the elite panel, is the third umpire decisions. You can transmit the TV images and the communication across the world. Everyone's uh, watching this um, on about three or four different continents. Oh, okay. at the moment. So, well, so you're saying the third umpire could be sat in a hotel in Abu Dhabi or in New York or anywhere? You could have specially trained third umpires because it is a skill compared mm. to umpiring on the field. And they'd be specially trained. The quality would be up. You'd take the bias out of it and the ICC would be in control. We will be taking one thing out of um, the fans' enjoyment of the game if we do centralise the third umpiring and bring the quality up which is that we can't deflect any criticism of our own team um, by blaming the umpires. Um, as a fan of Premier League football, I've seen how much we've enjoyed blaming VAR for everything over the last year. So I wouldn't want to take that enjoyment away from the fans. It's happening in quite a few series. We've seen a few in this ma- uh, this series between India and England. There was a horrendous stumping um, decision um, of Hussein Salat in the T20 between South Africa and Pakistan, where the guy had his foot grounded about a foot behind the line and he still got given out. Really, as fans, all we want is that the quality of these decisions go up so that the correct decision does get made in the end. And that's what it's and, all about, isn't it? Getting the correct decision so that you know that the result and the, ultimately the result is fair and won properly. And that's that's all you're looking for. I mean, we, I said recently on the Big Bash podcast that the sideways on cameras for runouts and for stumpings should be HD and more frames per second. So you get, you know, instead of having a frame where the foot's in and the frame where the foot's out and the bales are on and off, you're not quite sure, have a frame in between so that you can see what's happening in between times. I think if you're going to have it and you're having DRS, as you say, train people up properly to use it right and actually get the technology to actually end, give the end result that makes their job as easy as possible. But some very strange decisions over the last couple of days. I say again, it's not cheating. It's just poor umpiring and poor use of the protocols at their disposal. There is absolutely no advantage for any of those guys over there to put their reputations on the line just to, I don't know, annoy Ben Stokes or somebody. It's just not going to happen. It just makes no sense. As we stand though, at the moment, at the end of day two of what is becoming a fantastic test match series between these two sides. India take that lead of 249 runs into day three. Already asked you, Neil, about whether there's any chance of uh, England winning this. In terms of um, Virat Kohli, um, his captaincy under the microscope after Ajinkya Rahani did so well in Australia. It's a big, big test match for him, this isn't it? If he can win, win convincingly, puts his flag back in the ground as test captain, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, there, there is a lot of chatter going around Virat in the captaincy, especially in light of what Ajinka Rahane did in Australia and what Rohit Sharma has done with white ball um, with the Mumbai Indians. And I think both of those are better tactically than Virat on the field. But what he's brought in terms of the mindset, the quality of fielding, the fitness levels, um, he's driven the strategy behind this India team and shouldn't really be worrying about his his place. What, what you're describing there, though, Neil, is a coach, not a captain. Not at all. I, I'm saying uh, that <laughs> um, Virat is um, Brian Clough with uh, Rahani's Peter Taylor. Um, Rahani's likes a lot more, but that's what the assistant does. Um, I'm a United fan and I've seen 
Steve McLaren and Brian Kidd fail horrendously to do the big job after being brilliant at being uh, the number two. Ash, from a, an England perspective, um, looking at the scoreboard as we end day two, what's the best England can do from here? To gain some a bit more respect from the game, I would say you've got they've got to go out there, try and get India out reasonably cheaply, and then just just take come out the second innings with a plan and the right mindset batting wise they're not going to chase it down I think there's no chance that on this pitch with how it's behaving that someone's going to chase down anything over 200, 250 it's just not going to happen but they can do themselves proud and, and show that they've got the right mindset and make up for what was a sloppy first go at it and hopefully get themselves back into a reasonable position going into that day night test because there's no reason why England team from the first game can't reappear for that third test and make a real good go of it under the lights all about regaining a little bit of confidence and dignity as they walk off the pitch whenever the game finishes Rito though in terms of the test series um, just to round off today's podcast looks like it's going to be one all after the test match number two we go to Ahmedabad to, for the um, tests three and four with the series really bubbling up don't we? we England have had a good first test India look as if they're going to have a dominant second test match all to play for over the test matches three and four potentially the series is great yeah if you had told England after two test matches that they would have been one all going into the big test at Ahmedabad they would have take, taken it at once off your hand so that's where the best bet lies and as Ash mentioned probably dismiss India for under a lead of 400 tomorrow morning and bat sensibly this pitch is obviously tough but if you just show a bit of stickability you can score runs and one thing that's missing of Joe Ruth CV is probably a fourth innings 100 and hopefully he gets one over here well there's the positives to take out of England's performance then but very much India in control in Chennai after day number two leading by 249 runs with nine wickets left of their second innings their intention will be to rub England's noses in the dirt and there's plenty of that on that surface and to try and really get a commanding win in Chennai as they head to Ahmedabad with a one-all draw in the series plenty to play for plenty to look forward to Neil, Ash and Rito thank you very much for joining me today we'll be back again tomorrow with another edition of the test match daily i've been james the cricket badger make sure you join me then thanks for listening we will be back every day during england's tour of india get in touch on at cricket underscore badger on twitter we hope you are enjoying the cricket see you again tomorrow Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.